All right, well, welcome back once again to our last encounter of the year. Ooh, let's try that again. Welcome back to our last encounter of the year. Uh, I have been so floored by how good God has been to us throughout this past year. Uh, when we first started this ministry, we weren't sure uh, whether or not any students would come. Uh, because let's be honest, if you had never been here before, if you had never experienced encounter firsthand, and you had never heard your friends talking how much fun they were having there, but well, you just heard that on Thursday nights you can go and that you can hear another sermon and sing some more praise songs uh, throughout the week. How many of you guys would imagine yourselves uh, being here? Um, when we first started, we weren't sure whether or not NPR was too big of a space. Uh, there's only going to be five or six kids who come and maybe we should just meet in a classroom instead instead of trying to awkwardly fill up this big room. Um, but look around. Uh, here we all are, uh, for one reason, uh, because we want more of God. Uh, and so as the year winds down to an end, you know, part of me is just so thankful for who God has been to us. Um, but I think there can also be a temptation to just go through the motions and half-heartedly finish up the year. Just finish up your last seven missing form of assignments, get them in, uh, and try to wrap things up as the year comes to an end. But if you never stop to reflect on a past season, you are almost guaranteed to repeat the same behaviors in the next one. Uh, and tonight, what I want to do is examine the results of this past year. What do you have to show for the fruit of your labor? Did you get the grades you wanted? Did your team get the records you wanted? Did your relationship go the way that you'd hoped? The title of tonight's message is A New Portion. Uh, in the Bible, the word portion uh, it doesn't have to do with like food portion sizes as we often think about today. Uh, but the word portion is usually a reference to land inheritance. So back in the day, uh, this is what you would see. As you would see, go to the next slide, please. We would see uh, land divided up like this. And so uh, when the patriarch of a family would pass away, his land would be divided up among his descendants. So uh, the firstborn son might get a double portion, the second son might get just a singular portion, and the land would be divided up. And so when you get your land after your father passes, the question would be, did I get a good portion? And so that's a question that we'll be exploring tonight is, uh, what is the new portion uh, that God offers us in Christ? Now we'll be looking at Psalm 73, and this is how it reads. Truly, God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment, their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies, they scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues struts through the earth, therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches." All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. 
how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let me pray for us one more time before we dive into today's passage. Father God, uh, we come before you this evening. And Lord, you know where our hearts have been throughout this past year. Uh, You know the things that we so desperately long for and the portions that we uh, dig out for ourselves. Uh, But God, you are the God who always wants to give us the best in life. You are the God who always wants to give us the good portion to help us to see this evening through your spirit the riches of the beautiful inheritance that you have purchased for us in Christ and the good portion that you want to give to us. May that be our greatest longing and our greatest desire. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All right, so our big idea for tonight is that God is always good to us because God is what's good for us. Let's say that again. God is always good to us because God is what's good for us. And we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at the world's portion, and then we're going to look at God's portion. So first, the world's portion. In verses 3 through 7, we see what the portion of the world is. The portion of the world is riches. The psalmist makes an observation about the rich because he says that the people in the world, they strive after the world and its riches. And as he observes the rich, what does he say? He says being rich is pretty darn good. And here is how he describes the rich in the world. He says that they have no pains until death, that their lives are comfortable until their last breath. He says their bodies are fat and sleek, which I know maybe for us with our 2023 years sounds weird. Um, like why is it good to be fat and sleek? But you got to remember that one young was not always the beauty standard of the world. Remember that in the ancient world, when food was scarce, being overweight was actually a status symbol and a sign of success. He says that they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind, which means that their wealth has functionally sheltered them from the problems of the masses. They're not out in the fields working in the hot sun. They're not on boats worrying about whether or not there's going to be a good catch for the day. And all of this, as he's describing it, what does it show us? It shows us that thousands of years ago, things were no different than today. That being rich has always enabled you to escape many of this world's problem and it secures for you a life of comfort but i know that i'm not saying anything really new to you guys like it's not like wow you're telling me that money can make me happy um to which i would say actually yes money can make you happy to an extent to an extent money can make you happy now some of you guys might be sitting there thinking mr shah how do you know whether or not money can make you happy you are a teacher at yes you ain't got no money Um, To which I would say, actually, it is the opposite. It is precisely because there have been so many times in my life where I've had so little money uh, and the problems that came as a result of having so little money that I know exactly how happy money can make you. If anything, I would say it's the opposite, that unless you have been broke, you have no idea how much your current happiness is contingent upon your wealth. 
There is no denying that money is a necessity to survive in this world, and that being broke is going to make your experience of this world significantly more difficult, right? And the Bible never says that money in and of itself is evil, but what does it say? In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the money itself that's evil, it's the love of money. It's when we worship it and adore it and chase after it, when we make it our portion. And when you make money your portion, it always comes with consequences. So what are some of those consequences? The first consequence, and the second thing we're going to see, is that it changes your disposition. The disposition of the portion of the world is oppression. The psalmist says of those very same rich people that they speak with malice and they threaten oppression. He says the wicked, as they oppress, increase in riches. When you choose the riches of this world to be your portion in life, and when you make wealth to be your highest good, then you will seek to increase your wealth through any means possible. And we see this in our world every day. During COVID, it was estimated that the world's 10 richest men more than doubled their fortunes from $700 billion to $1.5 trillion, or at a rate of $15,000 per second. Can we go to the next slide, please? On March 18, 2020, Elon Musk has wealth value just under $25 billion, but by May 2022, his net worth had surged to $255 billion, a tenfold increase. And all of this happened while the other 99% of humanity's income fell, and over 160 million more people were forced into poverty. But hey, maybe that's just correlation. Early this year, when egg prices skyrocketed, people thought that egg prices were just going up because of inflation or supply chain issues. Like in America, eggs were going for 11.49. That's like manochonon. Um, we just thought it was because of natural causes. When in reality, it was corporations that were capitalizing on an initial price hike to maximize their profits. Calamine Foods. The United States' biggest egg producer experienced a 718% year-over-year jump in quarterly profits. Profits. So it's not like they had to raise the price to break even. They more than $0.07 centupled their profits. And when you make money your highest good, it will inevitably corrupt your disposition because you can justify any number of small compromises to large atrocity if in the end it means that you are getting the portion that you chose. And the psalmist, as he looks at all this, he is utterly flabbergasted. He cannot fathom how a good God can allow the wicked to prosper while those who try to live righteous lives persevere in vain. And he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence, for all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Because we are constantly consuming media and we see the lives of the rich and the famous profiting off of their moral bankruptcy, we can feel like the psalmist and we feel like this world is a lawless place where there is no real justice. But as the psalmist takes his eyes off of the world and he enters into the sanctuary of God, he begins to gain wisdom. And what he sees is the third thing, their destination. And their destination is ruin. In verse 18, it says, you make them fall to ruin. Here is what the psalmist realizes, that the comfort of this world is temporary, and that at the end, they will all face ruin. They all face death. Not a single one of us, rich or poor, will escape death. 
And while riches can protect us from some of the discomforts of life, no amount of money can save you from your inevitable death. Um, I've been slowly announcing this to my classes throughout the past few days. Uh, today will actually be my last day at YIS uh, for this school year. I'll be back next year, um, but today will be my last day at YIS uh, after Encounter. I'll be flying out to America on Saturday um, because my dad uh, passed away this past Monday, uh, and I'll be going back uh, for his funeral. Uh, so this is my dad. Um, we don't have uh, many pictures together, and when you hear about someone passing away, there's always a lot of just kind of initial questions have, so let me get those out of the way. Uh, no, we were not expecting his death. Uh, he did not show any initial signs of illness. Um, when the coroner came and examined his body, he just said that he died due to complications of chronic alcoholism. And so basically, he, he drank himself to death. Uh, he passed in his sleep. Uh, and after the funeral home took his body away, we hired cleaners to come and just clean up the space where he had passed. Uh, we asked them just to throw out whatever is junk and save whatever um, they can. Uh, and all that was left at the end of his life uh, were his glasses. Uh, that's all I have left of him. Uh, this is not to say that my dad was like the rich that the psalmist is describing by any means. Uh, but I think his death really solidified for me how at the end, no matter how much or how little you've accumulated in your life, uh, there's nothing that you can take with you to the other side. All of us, rich or poor, will one day have to face our end. And I think one of the greatest lies that the devil has convinced every generation of is that your life is eternal, that you will be young forever, and that you will never have to face the reality of death. Uh, but when the psalmist, he enters into the sanctuary of God and he discerns what happens to the rich, he realizes that they will face the same thing that all of mankind will face. They will eventually face ruin and their wealth cannot shield them from it. For those who choose riches as their portion in this life, they will oppress others in order to increase their wealth, and all for vain, because they will all eventually face ruin. But there is still another way. Second thing we'll look at tonight is God's portion. In verses 25 and through 26, what does we see is the portion that God wants to offer us? It is God himself. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But for me, it is good to be near God. The psalmist, he looks at the portion of the world and the portion that the rich have chosen for himself, and he says, no, I want a different piece of land. That is not the land that I want. He says his portion is God himself. And he rejects the fleeting riches of the world and he elects instead to have intimacy with God because he recognizes that the greatest thing that you can have in this life is more of God. In seminary, I had to read a long book series uh, called Reform Dogmatics. I want to show you guys a picture of what it looks like. It is multiple volumes long. Uh, they expected me to read I just, I just skimmed it. I didn't actually read the whole thing. Um, and after volumes and volumes, pages and pages of theological meditation, Herman Bobnick, one of the most revered theologians in history, this is how he decides to open his massive theological treatise with this simple, but I believe very profound sentence. This is what he says. He says, God and God alone is man's highest good. God and God alone is man's highest good. That means that there is nothing else in all creation that is as good for us as God. And no matter what you have or no matter what you don't have, 
If you do have God, you already have the greatest portion that this world could possibly offer. Uh, you know, people have been uh, checking in on me throughout the week because of my dad's passing, and uh, they've been asking me how I feel. Um, it's just been going through my mind, and uh, it's it's complicated uh, because my relationship with my dad was complicated. Uh, he was an alcoholic. Uh, he was narcissistic. Uh, he was emotionally, verbally, and psychologically abusive. Um, and so as he passed, um, it's not just grief or sorrow, but there's so many questions. Uh, there's anger. There's relief. And then there's guilt about feeling relieved. Um, but my dad and I didn't talk much the last few years of his life. Um, but before he passed, this is uh, one of the messages uh, he left me in the past year. Uh, and this is, I'm getting real vulnerable with you guys tonight. I don't talk much about this, but... Um, and this is one of the last things I have to remember my dad saying to me. He says, in my dying bed, uh, there will be only one wish. Uh, my dad's a cha, my mom's a kwok. He says that you will change your last name to kwok because you do not deserve the cha family name because you are so much more like kwok than a cha. And you can bet on it because I will never accept you as a cha family, uh, not even as my son. Um, this is one of the last things I have to remember about my dad. Um, and uh, just throughout the years, uh, as I've been arguing with my dad and going back and forth, um, like, it hurts, you know? Like, it, those are words that you remember uh, for the rest of your life. Um, I remember one night uh, I was arguing with my dad, just going back and forth, and I came home, and I was crying out, and I said, because I felt called into ministry for so long, I said, God, why would you call me to be a pastor and then make me his son? Because I feel like if I just wasn't his son, then I could be a better person. That I wouldn't have so much baggage. That I wouldn't have to deal with so many different things. Like, How can you call me to serve your people while I have him as a father? But that morning, my quiet time was on Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, if you know, is one of the most boring chapters in the whole Bible. Because it's just a bunch of names. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it, but as you read through that genealogy, you see the names of people like Abraham who was a liar, Rahab, who was a prostitute, David, who was a murderer, Solomon, who was an idolater, name after name after name of sinful and broken people. But at the end of that genealogy, what you have is Jesus Christ. And as I was going through that passage, it felt like what God was saying to me was, Chris, who would have ever imagined that the Messiah would come from this family? You don't need to come from a good family for me to use you. Because all throughout history, I have used broken people to write redemptive history. I have used broken people to do my will. And so even uh, as I feel like this rejection from my dad, let's contrast that with what the Word of God says. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4-5, through 5, it says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And again in John 1, 12-13 says, But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For me, who had such a dysfunctional relationship with my father, uh, who disowned me as a son, uh, there was no greater news than the promise that my father in heaven chose to adopt me 
according to his pleasure and his will. And I would not love the gospel as much as I do now if I didn't grow up with the father that I have. Sure, I could complain about the portion that I got in life, right? Like I could complain that if, if I wasn't born to my dad, that because of my dad, I didn't get to have a normal childhood. That because of my dad, I have all this emotional baggage. That because of my dad, I didn't start off with wealth. I didn't start off with a silver spoon in my mouth. But at the same time, it is only because of my dad that I got more of God. If it wasn't for my dad, it would be impossible for me to know God in the way that I do now. Because what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And that is like the beautiful and tragic irony is that the dysfunctionality of my relationship with my earthly father ended up being the greatest sacrament for me to know my heavenly father. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I could, I could ask God why he didn't give me a better father. And I could ask God why he didn't give me a happier life. But I already know the answer. It's because God loved me too much to allow me to be satisfied with anything less than himself. I need you to write this down because this is one of the greatest truths I feel like God has imparted unto me throughout my life. That is that God loves you too much to allow you to be satisfied with anything less than himself. You can compare your life to the people around you and wonder, God, why don't you give me more? Why wasn't I born into a happier family? Why wasn't I born into a wealthier family? Why didn't you give me a smarter brain or a more beautiful body or more athletic gifting? He could give you any, because he's the creator of the universe, anything in creation could give you like that. But the reason why he withholds things that feel good to us is not because he loves you less, it's because he loves you more. Because he loves you too much to let you be satisfied with lesser, lesser things. So he gave me my dad so that through my dad I could have more of God. And I wouldn't really want uh, anyone else to be raised by my father. Uh, it broke my heart seeing my brother being raised by my father. But for myself, I wouldn't have chosen a different father than the one God chose for me. Because God chose to give me himself as my portion. And because there was no greater thing that there was to give. And so even in the face of moments like these, I can say that God is good. And that God is always good to us. Because what is good for us is God. So we saw that for those who declare that the world is good, their disposition becomes one of wickedness. But for those who have made God their portion, rather than hoard their share, rather than oppression, they go out, their disposition is mission. In verse 28, it says, I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. The psalmist says that he will tell every generation, every nation about what God has done. Because for those who have tasted and seen the goodness of God, for those who have chosen to make God their portion, they do the opposite of what those who have chosen the world do. They do not hoard it for themselves, but they share it with others because they cannot keep the gospel to themselves. Right? Like There are basically two kinds of people in the world. There are the kinds of people who when they find a really good new cafe or really good new restaurant, they gatekeep. Right? Because they don't want the lines to get too long. They don't want the prices to go up. They don't tell a single, so they don't post on Instagram. They don't post on Snap. That is their little secret. And then there are others who, when they experience something truly good, 
They tell all of their friends and all of their family so the joy that they have experienced, they can share with others. Now, me personally, I'm a gatekeeper. Right? If I find something that I really like, I don't tell a single soul. Like right now is a time of year where all my friends from the States are visiting. Like back to this is my good friend, Ian Park. Uh, he's visiting from the States. He's here with his wife. Um, this is this is my manship. His name is Ian Park. Uh, but as you can see, he is not Korean. His wife is Korean. Her last name was Shin, but now that she's married, they're going to have a park. And so when they have kids, they're going to have these Asian kids who go up here to your conference with the last name Park. And all the adults are going to be like, oh, I can't wait to meet their Asian dad. And then Ian's going to walk in. Um, anyways, so right now is the time of the year where all my friends from the States are visiting. And they all hit me up, right, because they want me to be their tour guide. And so if we're close, right, then yeah, no, I'm not gatekeeping. I'm taking you to Machi, right? Hole in the wall. It's where all the tongne, like grandpas and grandmas go to eat. All right? But if we're not that close, like we're going to Loteria. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But here is my defense. All right, Gatekeeping, when it comes to worldly things, that actually does kind of make sense. Because there are a limited number of seats inside of a restaurant. Right? If it gets too popular, the lines are going to get long. If demand gets too high, prices are going to go up. So gatekeeping, it kind of makes sense. But with God, he is not a zero-sum game. Because God is an infinite God. Sharing God with someone else does not mean that you get less of him. It is the opposite. Your joy will multiply. And people who know God know this intuitively. And so they will live their lives on mission, telling anyone who will listen about the greater portion that they have found in God. So they have the best thing that this world has to offer. They go on mission to share it with others. And what is their destination? And verse 24 tells us, the destination is glory, and afterward you will receive me to glory. For those who have chosen God as their portion in this life, they will enjoy God forever in the next. You get God now here on earth to a partial degree because we still have a sinful nature and we still live in a fallen world. We cannot enjoy the fullness of intimacy with him, but you get God to the fullest measure forever and ever in heaven. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus didn't die on the cross, that you can live a comfortable life here on earth for 70, 80 years, and then when you die, you don't have to go to hell. Getting you out of hell was not the goal of the gospel. What was the goal? That he might bring us to God. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have more of God. The good news of the gospel is not that you don't have to go to hell. The good news of the gospel is that you get God because God is the gospel. God is our highest good. And God is always our big idea. God is always good to us because what is good for us is God. There is nothing greater he could have offered us in all creation. Uh, you know, in the, in the last years of my dad's life, um, he didn't see many people. Uh, he barely even saw us. Uh, at that point, he had been unemployed for about a decade. He just lived in the basement of our house. Uh, he was just depressed. He drank. Um, and so uh, not many people saw him toward the end. Uh, so tonight, I just, uh, I just want people to know who my dad was, uh, that he lived, uh, that he mattered. Uh, is that okay? Uh, this is a little bit of my dad. My dad, uh, he was smart. Uh, he was witty. Uh, 
he was good with his words. Um, when he was with his friends, he always knew how to make the people around him laugh. Um, he was always uh, the center of attention. So if ever I've made you laugh with my wit, uh, I got that from my dad. Um, but conversely, if, if I've ever hurt your feelings with my words, you can blame that on my dad too. Um, my dad was stubborn. Uh, he always thought he knew what was best for you and your opinion on the matter was irrelevant. It was always his way or the highway. And so when I was little, he tried to make me pick up hobbies that I hated. Uh, he'd take me to hobby shops and try to get me to build model trains with him uh, when all I wanted to do was build Legos. Uh, he'd wake me up early in the morning and drag me to go fishing with him when all I wanted to do was stay home and watch Saturday morning cartoons. At the time, I wondered, Dad, why do you keep making me do things I don't want to do? But if I could tell my younger self now, I would tell him just to spend time with him while you can. And I know that usually uh, during, and you know, I'll be giving a eulogy next week about my dad, and I know that usually people share fond memories that they have with the departed, their favorite things about him, but to be quite frank, I don't have many good memories of my dad. Uh, I spend most of my life scared of him, trying to avoid him. You know, over the past few days, people have asked me how I'm feeling. When I tell them that I'm sad, some of the people who know my family situation, like, they're just perplexed. Uh, they ask me, what are you sad about? They can't understand why I would miss a father like him. But can someone please explain to me why I need a reason to love my dad? And when people get to know me and they hear my story, I've had people say to me, uh, Chris, I don't know many people who've had it worse than you. Uh, which I'm like, thanks. Um, but I do. Uh, my dad, he had it worse than me. My dad was an alcoholic, but so was his. And his dad got divorced and remarried four times. He grew up getting physically abused. And for those reasons, he committed to never get a divorce and to never hit me or my brother. And he kept those promises. By the world standards, my dad did not climb very high. He never graduated high school, he never owned a home, and he was unemployed for the last half of his life. But life is not simply about how high you climb, but it's also about where you came from. And there are few who have had to start from where my dad started. He spent his whole life trying to fight his inner demons, and he lost more often than not. But he still fought uh, because he was strong. He was so much stronger than I was. And despite all of his demons, at the end of the day, he still didn't divorce my wife, or divorce my mom. <laughs> he, never, uh, he never laid a hand on me or my brother. And so uh, my Korean name is Pumsok, uh, and the Sok in Pumsok means rock. And my dad said I was named that because he wanted me to be the rock that would start a change in the Cha family. Uh, he wanted me to be the one who would end the cycle of broken families. Uh, but I know that the one who started the change in my family isn't me. It was you, Appa. That because you never left, and because you stayed married, uh, because you never laid a hand on us, you gave me and Daniel a fighting chance at a normal life. So Appa, why did you have to leave so soon? Why couldn't you have taken better care of your health? And why couldn't you have stopped drinking? I can't believe that when I go home this time, that you're not going to be there. And I miss you so much that it hurts. Daniel still needs his dad. I still need a dad. But thank you for staying there until the end. 
You could have left, but you chose to stay. And thank you for loving us. And thank you for the sacrifices that you made. You weren't a perfect father, but you were my father. And if I was born a hundred times, I would choose to be your son each time because you were the only father for me. You were the father that God chose to give to me. And I'm proud to be your son. Uh, I know some of you guys in this room that you're not Christian or you might be Christian, but you don't feel like you have the time to prioritize God right now. Uh, you don't feel like uh, you just you, you don't have the space in your schedule. Let me get into college first. Let me get settled in my career first, and then I'll get right with God. But let me tell you that tomorrow is not guaranteed. You have no idea whether or not you'll get another moment. If I had known my dad was going to pass away soon, I don't know how you guys think about this because I'm a teacher. Like maybe you just think like you know teachers, their parents, they die. I'm 30. I'm not that old. My dad was 58. Uh, my brother was 18. So that's, for most of you guys, imagine that's your dad passing away in a year or two. Um, if I had known that my dad was going to pass so soon, I would have tried to make things right with him. I would have tried to reconcile with him. But I don't have that chance anymore. But tonight, um, you are not a Christian. You have the chance to get right with God. You have the chance to be reconciled with your heavenly Father who is always holding his hand out to us because he desperately longs to be reconciled to you. He desperately longs to call you his son and his daughter and to welcome you into his family. You have the chance to choose the best portion in life. 